This is Business Breakdowns. Business Breakdowns is a series of conversations with investors and operators diving deep into a single business. For each business, we explore its history, its business model, its competitive advantages, and what makes it tick. We believe every business has lessons and secrets that investors and operators can learn from, and we are here to bring them to you. To find more episodes of Breakdowns, check out joincolossus.com. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions. Hosts and podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This is Jesse Puji, and today we're breaking down ChargePoint. ChargePoint is the clear market leader in the United States for your electrical vehicle chargers. Founded in 2007 by five technical founders, the business has ridden the wave of EV growth and has manufactured some 40% of the charging points in the U.S. To break down ChargePoint, I'm joined by Mark Tomasovic, a principal at Energize Ventures and a previous guest on our show. We discuss the challenges of a commoditized business, how ChargePoint is leading the EV land grab, and why the U.S. is at a particularly interesting point for EV adoption. Please enjoy this business breakdown of ChargePoint. All right, Mark Tomasovic, welcome to Business Breakdowns. Thanks for having me, Jesse. Glad to be back. So the business we're breaking down today is ChargePoint Solutions. Let's jump right in. What is ChargePoint Solutions? Think about ChargePoint as a hardware OEM for charging infrastructure. So they primarily provide charging hardware, so the physical charge points that you can use to charge your electric vehicle, but they also provide software and professional services to their customers as well. So the customers can be commercial, which are basically parking spaces for employees. They could be fleet operators or operators of delivery vehicles. And they can also be residential. So usually multifamily residential apartment complexes. But ultimately, think of ChargePoint as the hardware OEM that sells chargers. When you pull up on a parking lot spot and then you see someone in their Prius or their Tesla, maybe plug it in, that's what their business is. Exactly. What's unique about them, and we'll get into the business model in a little bit, but they just sell that charge point to the site host. They don't actually own the charge point. And in most cases, they don't continue to operate it, but they're just the manufacturer of the hardware itself. Can you give us a quick sense for their scale? How big are they? Revenue, size of the units they're selling, those kinds of things? So they do about 200 million a year in revenue. And that actually means that they're the majority player in the market. So they control about 40% of the market share. It's still a relatively nascent industry. So when we think about EV chargers in general or electric vehicles on the road today, still electric vehicles only make up about 1% of the cars on the road today. So it's still a very nascent industry. They're still net income negative. I think they're burning about 15 million a month in EBITDA because they're really leaning into this quite literal land grab that's going on right now in the EV charging space. Because they're a hardware business, they're doing about 25 to 30% gross margin. So R&D heavy, but still right now leaning into burn in an attempt to acquire parking spaces and apartment complexes for EV charging locations. Crazy that only 1% are EV on the road. That blows my mind. Tell us about the history of ChargePoint. And I think maybe even if you could weave in sort of the way the industry has evolved. I mean, I think Tesla, that's the only thing we ever hear, but maybe you can give us a sense for this business and then the industry at large. Founded in 2007, they were originally called Coulomb Technologies. They're based in Campbell, California. And originally, there was five founders of the company, and all of them came from a very technical background in technology leadership roles. So the original CEO was a guy named Richard Lowenthal, 
And actually before ChargePoint, he was actually the mayor of Cupertino for eight years. So back in 2007, all the founders got together and they began to realize that there was a buzz around electric vehicles and automakers in the US and the US government was beginning to support sustainability startups with tax credits and grants. They launched their first product in 2008 and then quickly began to secure new clients, which were primarily gas station sites in California. And even back in 2008, before even the landscape today started to catch on. So they developed a backlog of about $30 million of installation requests. And seeing this backlog, they raised a seed round of $4 million to execute some of the projects. Things began to work. So over the next six years after that, they raised another $80 million from government grants and venture capitalists, and then began to partner with auto OEMs, big corporates, even partnered with a solar installer called Vivint Solar so that you can combine solar panels with EV charging at your home. And today, they're a $4 billion company. They have over 100,000 charging stations, and they've raised over like $780 million between the private and public markets. So they've acquired a couple other companies, and they're really continuing, like I said, to lean into burn to continue to maintain majority market share in the US. They're a public company, correct? They are. Yeah. So they went public via SPAC in March of 2021. They raised $480 million net in the SPAC process. And they actually became the first publicly traded EV charging company. Talk about how they evolved with the industry. I mean, it's somewhat of an obvious business model. Electric cars on the road, something needs to charge them. Let's make the stuff that's going to allow them to be charged all over. But how has the industry evolved? What are sort of the important pieces to understand if you're going to get into a business like this? If we go back to that 1% number, 1% of the total number of cars on the road today are electric. What that means is there's 2 million electric vehicles in the US. And what that means is one in every 15 cars sold in the US is an electric vehicle. So about 7% of all cars sold today in the US are electric vehicles. But what we've seen historically in other countries, for instance, in Norway, when a country reaches 5% adoption of electric vehicle adoption in new sales, a tipping point occurs and the adoption becomes exponential. And we think today we're at that tipping point. And just to put it in context, in 2018, there were 12 car commercials that ran during the Super Bowl. None of them were for an electric vehicle. But this year, there were nine car commercials that ran during the Super Bowl, and seven of those nine commercials featured an EV. So it's still pretty early an overall relative market share of EVs versus combustion engine vehicles. But we think over the next five years, the US EV growth rate will be a 40% CAGR. And we're going to 4x the total number of EVs on the road by 2027 as there are today. So a lot of those, kind of going back to your question on what's causing EV charging infrastructure adoption, a lot of that adoption is based on the improvement of battery technologies which is decreasing the cost of electric vehicles and increasing their range and making them broadly more affordable and more attractive to the average consumer. In the infrastructure, who are the players in all of this? Not just competitors, but even the value chain a bit. It seems like ChargePoint has the vast majority of market share, but help us break it down a little bit to better understand it. There's about four main players across the whole EV charging infrastructure layer. And the first is the equipment supplier itself. So the first is people like ChargePoint that are the hardware OEMs or the OEMs of the physical charging infrastructure. Their role involves engineering and manufacturing of the chargers. 
And we think of this space as a pretty competitive space. So we expect over time that margins in the hardware OEM category will decrease as the hardware becomes more commoditized. And so these suppliers will have to find some way to differentiate, which could involve having a unique go-to-market motion or unique partnerships or involve selling proprietary software systems to run their chargers. And they'll have to figure out ways to be cost-efficient in how they source and manufacture their products. The second important part in the value chain is that software layer. As I mentioned, one way that the equipment suppliers could differentiate is by offering software systems to run their chargers. And these software systems provide capabilities like payments and the ability to lock and unlock charge points and see into charge point performance and even manage electrical load on the chargers themselves. And so a lot of the hardware providers, the OEMs of the equipment are really good at building hardware, but they're not really good at building software. So there's this whole second ecosystem of just software providers that can work with certain types of hardware or across all different hardware types they've really established themselves as software-only capital-like businesses that are just the operating system for hardware, for the charging infrastructure itself. The third player in the value chain is the installer. And the installer is, think of them as mid to large-scale electrician shops. Some of them are specialized charger installation companies or engineering and procurement firms that offer turnkey solutions. This super fragmented, low barriers to entry. They actually do the physical construction installation. And then finally, the last players are the site owners and the charge point operators. And the site owner is typically the one that owns the physical real estate and sells the electricity. And if they don't want to operate the actual charger itself, then they'll hire a charge point operator that can monitor the charging status and coordinate maintenance. How do the auto manufacturers play into this? How do they have relationships with charge point or what's their relationship to this world? Yeah, well, auto manufacturers like to say agnostic because the goal of the auto manufacturer is to decrease range anxiety across potential customers. And what I mean by range anxiety is the inability to find a charger when you're traveling across the state or traveling to work. It's one of the major reasons why people are hesitant to purchase an EV is because they feel like, hey, if I need to travel a couple hundred miles I won't be able to fill up like I do a traditional gas station. The auto OEMs like to stay agnostic to the different types of hardware players because they want to minimize range anxiety and they want to sell more cars. What's interesting is ChargePoint has actually been able to capitalize on this by partnering with a couple auto OEMs. So ChargePoint has what's called an open wall network. And so any auto OEM can charge on ChargePoint chargers. And ChargePoint has partnered with a couple of these OEMs so that you can have the ChargePoint app as part of your car's dashboard. And so you can control things like payments, reserving parking spots from the ChargePoint app in your car. Whenever I'm with my dad and his Tesla, he's like searching in Tesla and like, is he finding ChargePoint things or they have their own system? And how do you view that? So Tesla is a closed wall network. So if you want to use a Tesla charger, you can find Tesla chargers that only work with Tesla vehicles to do things like super fast charging, where you can charge your vehicle within 30 minutes. But you can also use Teslas on charge points, for instance, because charge point likes to stay agnostic to the type of auto OEM brand. They say a Switzerland, they're like, we'll charge anyone. We don't care. And obviously, if you're a gas station or whoever wants to buy these things, you want it to be open to as many people as possible. 
Exactly. Because the gas station will make a margin on the electricity that they sell. And also in certain instances, if you have a charger at your location, then it becomes a strategic advantage because the folks that are charging can come in and buy your products, whether it's at a grocery store or a retail location or something like a gas station. You guys expect this market to be very competitive over time. What do people compete on? What are the big areas and why is ChargePoint winning so far? And why do you think they'll probably continue to keep winning? When we look across just the overall EV charging infrastructure landscape, it is a land grab. It's a physical land grab because you're out there and you're trying to secure these parking lots or these locations before anyone else does. So ChargePoint definitely has the first mover advantage in this land grab. They were the first to market for all intents and purposes. They're the first public company in the space and they developed significant first mover advantage before many of their competitors. So I would say overall, first mover advantage is a clear advantage in the space because the hardware is getting commoditized. The second advantage are things like being able to offer services that make these charge points relatively simple and easy to maintain with high uptime. So if I'm a charge point owner and I want to have charge points at my apartment complex, for instance, I don't know how to operate a charge point. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to schedule maintenance. I want someone else to do that for me. And ChargePoint, because they offer their proprietary app and they also offer other services like ChargePoint Assure or even one called ChargePoint as a service, they can be this fully integrated hands-off solution where they say, hey, buy our hardware and buy our services and we'll take care of it all for you. So that becomes an advantage because it becomes relatively low touch for the actual charge point owner themselves. I would say the third is actually partnerships too. So if I'm charge point and I need to acquire site by site retail locations, there's not very much distribution leverage in that. And it becomes really difficult and high customer acquisition costs if I need to go around to individual shopping malls or whatever it may be, apartment complexes and acquire these individual customers. But if I can form relationships with the installers, the local electricians, the engineering and procurement firms, for example, and I can have those installers recommend ChargePoint to their networks, well, then I just gained a whole bunch of distribution leverage. So I can have one partnership with one installer and then let the installer recommend the hardware and recommend the ChargePoint software on top of that. And so ChargePoint has done a really good job of forming these partnerships within the industry, whether it's with the auto OEM themselves or with the installers or within real estate owners that own massive amounts of real estate across the US. If the tech is truly commoditized, I guess it seems like the big advantage is going to be, like you said, land grab, like who can get this in more places faster And I assume when you're the biggest guy, it's slightly easier for you to say, I'm the biggest guy, I have this everywhere. There's a couple of things I want to double click on that you talked about. So on the distribution side, sales and marketing, is that a unique part of their business? Is it similar to any other business out there in terms of how they get to the market and sell or get in front of all these owners? Yeah, what they do, most of it is direct sales or sales through these partnerships. It's actually a relatively low cost when you look at their OPEX line. It only makes up about 30% of total OPEX. R&D makes up, I think, about 50% of total OPEX. I wouldn't say it's particularly unique other than the fact that they go after these partners across the board, auto OEMs, electricians, massive real estate owners, and other forms of distribution leverage 
where they can minimize that customer acquisition cost. I think you were hinting at this earlier, but I am curious around the business model. They've obviously chosen to sell the hardware to apartment owners and whoever else. Is there anyone else or have they considered rev share, lease back, other kinds of unique arrangements that might let them get to land grab faster? They offer ChargePoint as a service, which is situation in which they actually own the chargers themselves. So that's a bit more capital intensive. And that's a situation where ChargePoint will do the full service and actually own the hardware and sell the electricity. That's actually a very small aspect of their business model. For the most part, no, they've stayed very capital light. They've minimized CapEx and they really don't have a ton of physical assets. And so I think that's a strategic advantage to them is staying capital light and actually not having to worry about utilization of these chargers. Because if you think about it, if you're the one selling the electricity, then you're really concerned about where the chargers are placed, how often they're being utilized, if people are actually charging at them. But if you're not selling the electricity and you're not the actual charge point owner, then you can just sell the hardware and you don't care if the charge point sits there and is underutilized. It's just not a part of your business model and it doesn't affect your top line or any sort of revenue share that you have. And the pitch, I assume it's you're an apartment owner, you're says, hey, this is going to make your life easier for what whoever your customer is. So you should have this. Exactly. It's going to make your life easier. It's going to increase your own apartment NPS score or, or whatever you want to call it. Or it's going to drive more retail sales because while someone's charging at your location, they can come in and buy a Snickers bar. I'd love to pivot here and go a little bit into the PL of ChargePoint. Walk us through the various lines, what tends to be in them, and then some of the margins and help us understand, do you consider them good, bad? Like, How does somebody think about them? When we look at the top line, starting there, the company's doing about $200 million of revenue. And actually about 80% of that revenue comes from the sales of charging hardware. That charging hardware is level two chargers. And we can get into the difference between level one, level two, and level three chargers shortly here, but it's mostly selling level two charging hardware. Then about 20% of the revenue also comes from subscription services. And so the subscription services are two things. One is called ChargePoint Assure, and that's primarily a mobile app that's used for remote monitoring and maintenance troubleshooting. And then the other is that service that I mentioned called ChargePoint as a service, where ChargePoint is the ChargePoint operator. How much does one of these things cost? They can be expensive. Let me use this quickly to get into the difference between level one, level two, and level three chargers, because they all have various degree of costs. Level one chargers are what are called trickle charge chargers. And what they're used for is primarily charging your EV at home overnight. So they plug into your standard 120 volt household outlet. They usually require no installation costs. And actually most EVs are sold with one of these level one chargers. They charge at a rate of one to two kilowatts, which means it can often take several days to charge a full car battery. The second type of charger is a level two charger. And these chargers can be found in the home, the workplace, or public settings. And if you want to install a level two charger at home, they require a 240 volt outlet, which is typically what you would need for your washer and dryer. The level two chargers are more expensive. They're about ten dollars to $30,000, but they can charge significantly faster than those level one chargers. So the level two chargers can fully charge an EV between four to 10 hours. 
And over 80% of public charge points in the US are level two chargers. So they're great for places where your car is stationary for a while, which is workplaces or parking garages, things of that nature. And then finally, ChargePoint also sells level three chargers. And level three chargers are also known as DC fast chargers. These can charge your car in about 20 to 30 minutes. But the downside is they're significantly more expensive. So a level three charger can cost over $150,000 and a site upgrade for a level three charger could be over a million dollars for a site. So currently they only make up about 20% of overall chargers available in the US, but they work well with fleets and they work well in locations where you need a quick charge. So in highway corridors, for example. Just rough strokes to give everyone a sense. If your revenue is 200 million, you're on average 20,000 per charger, you're roughly selling about 10,000 of these a year. That kind of gives everyone a sense of numbers and scale. Is that roughly right? That's roughly correct. Over the lifetime of the company, they've currently installed 110,000 chargers. So since 2007. So yeah, roughly that's correct. Obviously, they're continuing to grow over time. And you said their gross profit margins are in the 20% which as someone who does tech and software seems really low, but maybe what goes into that? What's actually showing up in the cost of revenue? Depends on whether they're operating the charger themselves or if they're just the one that are designing the hardware because they actually outsource manufacturing to a third party. The cost of manufacturing actually doesn't show up in COGS as much as it would if they were manufacturing in-house. But primarily the cost of the components that go into the actual charger itself are the cost of goods sold in this case. If you're looking at the services portion of their revenue, then obviously you'll have the cost of services, which fall into COGS as well. But primarily the 25 to 30%-ish gross margin is just the cost of the components that go into the charger. I'm just making up the sale for 20 grand and basically $16,000 of that is the stuff, the wires and the electrical piece of that. Exactly. How does that gross profit margin compare maybe to their competitors or to other similar companies? A lot of their competitors are completely full service. And so actually, a lot of their competitors are still negative gross margin. So ChargePoint is actually relatively high gross margin compared to their other competitors, which is the reason why the company was able to de-spec and enter the public markets and continue to have healthy support from public investors. But overall, a lot of their competitors offer fully integrated services. And so they're often still negative gross margin, or they offer significantly more expensive chargers because the chargers are much more complicated. ChargePoint offers a pretty simple product and a pretty simple type of charging hardware. They're able to stay hands off when it comes to actually maintaining these chargers over time. The 200 million, you have that 25-ish percent gross margins. And then they're spending, like you said, 50% on R&D or more like in the hundreds of millions. What is that? Where does that cost come from? And what is it trying to accomplish? Everyone always wants their charger to be able to charge faster. So a lot of what they're looking into is how can we optimize charging speed from these chargers? For example, I mentioned the level three chargers earlier. Well, level three chargers are able to convert AC current into DC current. And what that means is that it can charge the battery 10 times as fast as your typical AC level two charger. They're constantly researching ways to optimize charging, extend things like battery lives of these vehicles by not having to cycle the chargers as quickly. Is it just people? Those are just people doing experiments. Is there any other stuff in there? Are they buying stuff? I'm just curious what else would be in there. They have R&D labs. 
to start their very technical focused organization to begin with. And that's kind of rooted in their origin story, but it's primarily people and then any equipment needed for R&D. And then obviously you mentioned earlier, they're still burning quite a bit of cash, 15 million a month. I think you said, do you agree with that? Is that the right play? And what are they investing in or what are they betting on is going to happen in the future? I agree with that. I think because it's that land grab, it's the time to lean into burn and try to acquire these sites and try to decommoditize your product and continue to be the major player in the space. And then also invest probably a bit more in sales and marketing so that you can acquire these sites and form more partnerships. I think if you can continue to maintain 40% market share and be the open walled index to EV growth in the United States, then you can continue to ride this inflection point that we talked about earlier and focus on profitability later. In terms of future growth for next year and next couple of years, what sort of is expected from them? So they grew at about 65% year on year last year. So I think we can probably expect about 50% year on year growth in the future. So 200 million this year, what is that? Maybe 300 million next year. I think a lot of the growth will be indexed to EV charging growth, which is expected to grow at a 40% CAGR. So I think growing roughly at that 40% range or maybe a bit above it, I think is reasonable. They're also going to expand into Europe. So right now, 90% of their operations and 90% of their sales are in the US. As they expand into Europe, and they've already made a few acquisitions into software companies in Europe. So as they expand into Europe, that will be a completely new land grab for them. And the Europe market is actually an even bigger market than the US market and is growing faster than the US market. So I think broadly, we can think of ChargePoint as just an index to EV sales in the US. Is there some kind of a ratio of charge point chargers to cars? When you think about the long-term trajectory, how does it grow? There is. And everybody has the different ratio that they assume. Some folks will say 20 cars for every one charger. Some will say a bit more, some will say a bit less. But what those ratios are assuming is that there's a certain number of public access points available and a certain growth of EVs in the US and people will park their cars in certain locations to use slower charging or maybe DC fast charging, which is the level three charging that I mentioned earlier, takes off a bit quicker than people will be charging on highway corridors instead. There's all different variables that go into that number, but they call it an attach rate and Folks each have their different projections about how many EV charge points you need for every EV sold. Right. I mean, the reason this is a $4 billion company, given its PL, has to be, I'm guessing, hey, one day there'll be 100 million electrical cars. And at a 20 to 1 ratio, that means there'll be 20 million charging stations. Am I roughly getting it right? Or 5 million, sorry, 20 to 1. In general, I mean, you're correct. And you can break it down a bit more in depth and to talk a bit more between the the split between public chargers and private chargers. But right now in the US, if you add up both public chargers and private chargers, so those are chargers at individual homes and chargers in public locations, office buildings, apartment complexes, things like that, there's over 1.5 million chargers available in the US today. And then in Europe, that number is over 3.5 million. 
So there's already millions of chargers available out there. Now, the number of public chargers are significantly lower than the number of private chargers. I think when you look at the US, there's a couple hundred thousand public chargers and then maybe 600,000-ish public chargers in Europe. But we expect by 2030, that number to be millions for public chargers and tens of millions for private chargers. These guys maintain their market share. They will be a very big company and likely a very profitable one. Exactly. So there's a lot of forward growth built into how folks are valuing it. Yeah. I mean, typically companies like this, they've developed a few cheat codes over time, flywheels or whatever you want to call them. We talked about it a little bit earlier, but are there one or two things that you look at these guys and go, man, this is the thing. This is the thing that they're doing that it's going to be hard to beat them. So that's a good question because right now, everybody in this space is realizing that it's a commodity land grab. And the way that they're trying to differentiate is through software and services. So if they can offer a software product, which is easy to use, helps you find charge points, helps you secure those site locations, helps you, if you're a site owner, manage the electrical load on your chargers, then they can really differentiate from the additional services that they sell with the charger. Other than that, I hesitate to say that the industry and the hardware itself is not being commoditized. So there are certain other things you can maybe acquire competitors in the space. You can acquire different software companies, especially different software companies to enter different markets like they have in Europe with a recent acquisition. You can acquire various fleet managers. But right now, I would say it's primarily a land grab. The hardware is being commoditized. And it's just trying to find those services on the fringes to make your hardware product recommended by installers, easier to use by the individual consumer, or just broadly have more distribution leverage so that you can beat out your competitors when they're trying to decide whether or not to choose ChargePoint or another OEM brand. It seems like distribution, it would be the cheat code you'd try to dial in if you're running this business. I mean, do they, just curious, what are the big buckets of customer segments? And is there one apartment building, and if you made the deal with them, you're going to be in 20% of the market. Like, do you guys think about the endpoints they're selling into and how they get leverage over those? So they partnered with 38 of the Fortune 50 companies to install chargers at each of those companies' parking lots. And so they're doing things like that, where they're strategically setting up these lists of, okay, who are the top players in each of these different segments, whether it's a uh, company where we're going to try to sell the chargers to them so that they can use them in their parking lots or whether they're a large real estate owner. We've even seen certain EV charging companies partner with oil and gas companies so that oil and gas companies can be more energy transition focused and offer EV charging at gas stations. Now we can do a whole segment on whether or not siding an EV charger at a gas station is a smart idea. We've seen charging companies look towards various players across the whole segment that are focused on energy transition and try to align their sales strategy to essentially buyers that want to be more sustainable. It makes perfect sense. One other question we just didn't talk about earlier is what's the life of one of these chargers? It's still pretty early. So it depends upon how complicated the charger is. But for ChargePoint, I believe the life of the charger is I think it's seven or eight years. That's assuming that the thing will be regularly maintained. Actually, what's interesting is when you look at 
that seven or eight year period, 50% of the revenue that ChargePoint will generate across that, call it eight year period, will be from the charger sale itself. And then 50% of the revenue will be from ongoing services associated with that charger. I think one thing that we failed to mention is with each charger that they sell, they also sell a subscription software service with that charger. They'll continue to generate recurring revenue off of. And over the life of the charge point, that subscription will make up 50% of the total revenue generated from that charger. Can you speak a little bit to the regulatory environment? We'll mainly focus on the US here. But first, there's obviously the infrastructure bill. So in November of last year, the infrastructure bill was passed in the House with $75 billion of investment in EV charging over the next five years, which includes $5 billion of corridor charging for highway corridors, and then $2.5 billion for alternative fueling infrastructure to support Biden's executive order. But actually, there's also electric vehicle tax credits, which we expect to contribute to the overall adoption of EVs in general. And certain EVs can get up to a $7,500 tax credit if they're currently purchased from companies who have sold less than 200,000 electric vehicles. So this will change with the Inflation Reduction Act, but currently it doesn't apply to Tesla, GM, or Toyota, but there are EV tax credits available for these other brands where you can get up to $7,500 if you are to purchase an EV brand. And then finally, the LCFS. So LCFS is the Low Carbon Fuel Standard. It's an Emission Trading Act enacted in California in 2007. And if a fuel has a carbon intensity lower than certain guidelines, that asset can create an LCFS credit. So ChargePoint can actually create these credits by selling electricity in California. uh, And then those credits can be sold to other regulated parties under LCFS. Let's start to look forward for this business. If in five years, 10 years from now, you and I did this again, and ChargePoint has blown past every expectation, it's 50 billion market cap. What happened? What did they get right? And what might have happened in the macro environment? If we look at macro, the world will continue to focus on sustainability. Everyone will try to electrify their fleets. In general, the world will move towards electrification. At Energize, we call it electrify everything. And a big portion of that will be electric vehicles because consumers will continue to demand it. It goes back to that fact about the Super Bowl commercials. Now that 75% of Super Bowl commercials for car ads are electric vehicle car ads. On top of that, I think we need to believe that another player doesn't come into the market and be able to decommoditize this commodity. So I think there could be a concern for a race to the bottom if it becomes too commoditized. And the only way to differentiate is by differentiating on price. So it's hard to say what maybe that will be that will decommoditize it, but perhaps it's the ability to work with various auto OEMs and have various APIs that apply across different vehicle types so that it increases the ease of charging, for instance, where you don't even need to use an app, you just plug in your car, or maybe it's something that has to do with autonomous vehicles and the ability to autonomously move those vehicles to certain charge sites. So if someone can come in and decommoditize the commodity, I think that could be a risk to the business. But in general, if the world continues to continue on this sustainability trend that we're seeing and ChargePoint continues to index to that sustainability trend, I think that this is a pretty optimistic case. 
And are there specific things you have to view them as getting very right to believe in that or like at least maintaining? I think they need to continue to have their open walled network and continue to be Switzerland. And that fact, I think you mentioned earlier, they need to continue to find strong partnerships because one of the major risks here could be you spend a ton of money acquiring a specific partnership and then that partnership isn't very productive. I think they need to be able to qualify these partnerships pretty well in order to maintain that distribution leverage that they currently have. And then I think they need to expand geographically. So like I said earlier, Europe is in general more forward-leaning than the US when it comes to sustainability. Europe is a faster-growing market, a larger market for EVs and EV chargers than the US is currently. And ChargePoint doesn't do a lot of business in Europe. So they'll need to expand geographically while continuing to maintain that market share in the US. What about on the flip side? We would catch up in five or 10 years and it's really gone poorly. What happened? So it's a hardware company. So supply chain is always a risk. So ChargePoint relies on a concentrated number of suppliers for its components. This always creates a few single points of failure in its supply chain. And then on top of that, there's always potential risks with quality control when you're not the actual manufacturer yourself. On top of that, I would say... Macro charge point is actually correlated with construction because they're correlated with the installation of these new charger sites. And therefore, the revenue recognized is actually correlated with weather and GDP growth. So if we do have an overall slowdown in macro, then I think there could be some headwinds there because charge points are ultimately construction projects. Finally, I think it just goes back to unit economics. So right now they have a lot of cash. They're able to lean into burn. They're not really focused on profitability because they don't have to because it's a land grab. But if they don't qualify their partnerships right, they can't continue to source strong agreements with their suppliers or with their manufacturing partners. They can't get their gross margins right. Ultimately, that will trickle down into burn and then unit economics becomes an issue. But that's just when you're dealing with any hardware company. Well, Mark, this has been so awesome. We have our last question, which is sort of a three-parter, lessons for builders, lessons for investors, and where you would direct people for further study. So let's just take them one at a time. What's the big lesson for anyone building, entrepreneur and executive out there? Yeah. So in terms of lessons for operators, if you find yourself offering a product that may be commoditized, try to find some way to decommoditize your offering. And so that may be improving the user experience or expanding the product offering so that the company has multiple revenue streams or even differentiating in your go-to-market approach so that you can target more productive geographies and expand more productive partnerships. What's a lesson for investors out there in this story? Just keep it simple. Find products that are easy to use and preferred by their customers in markets that are growing rapidly, led by strong management teams that are product-oriented and customer-aware. If someone wants to become an expert on this industry in ChargePoint, where would you direct them? I've got to recommend my firm and our website. So we published our deep dive on what we call electrify everything on our website this last month. So our website is energize.vc and we published our capstone on how we think digital technologies are advancing energy and industry and electrification is a big part of that. All right, Mark Thomas Ovik, thank you so much for coming on Business Breakdowns. Thanks for having me, Jesse. To find more episodes of Breakdowns ranging from Costco to Visa to Moderna, or to sign up for our weekly summary, check out joincolossus.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-O-L-O-S-S-U-S dot com.